All right, everyone. Good afternoon. Uh, we are so glad that you've joined us again for another ASI seminar. What a blessing it is to come together and to study the three angels messages. And I'm really excited about our presentation by Anthony Baca this afternoon. It's going to be powerful, compelling, and we're going to want to do something after we are confronted with the information that is going to be shared. So again, we're glad that each one of you have joined us. We would like to encourage you to invite your friends to join. So even now, just uh, take your phone, think of someone who really needs to be on this um, seminar track, send them a text, say go to asiministries.org. You can register in a matter of a few clicks and you'll be right in there to join this particular message. So as we get started today, I would like for us to start with a poll question. We want to know where you are watching from. So we're gonna open our poll right now. We want uh, to encourage you to participate. We have several interactive poll questions throughout the presentation. So if you're on a computer, you will see on the right-hand column of your screen, you have chat and polls. So we want you to go and highlight polls and we're gonna make it live right now. We're asking where you are watching from. Where are you watching this seminar from? The answers are as follows. North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, or Oceania. I recognize that uh, we're not going to get a lot of people right now in Asia because it is uh, the middle of the night or the early morning hours, but I'm hoping we have some other people. We've had our audiences from around the world, which is what ASI is all about. Many people have uh, joined us and been so blessed from the different programs that have gone on since we started on Wednesday night. If you've missed any of the presentations, they will be available as soon as we're done with the convention and we have time to get everything ready. But I'm gonna close the poll now and we're gonna see where our viewers are from. So, Anthony, everyone is from North America. So praise the Lord for that. We are glad that each one of you have joined us and uh, the time is yours now. Please share with us this amazing topic, And I Saw. Awesome. Thank you. Well, hello, everyone. Good afternoon. I hope you've been having a blessed time so far um, watching uh, the, the different presentations taking place, particularly this track on sharing the three angels' messages. And I am excited to be here. Obviously, I wish I was with you in the flesh you know, as Paul always would write to the, the different churches, how you long to be with them in the flesh. And I long to be with each of you all right now. I wish I can see your facial expressions as we're studying the Bible together. I wish I can hear the, the Bibles churning and that, that the rustling of the tree of life, as it were, um, during the presentation. But we do praise God that we have the means and the, the technology to be able to come together to study the word of God. Um, and that being said, I want to encourage you, if you're listening, please uh, take out your Bible and follow along. Uh, I always like to say that the last person you should ever trust is a preacher, uh, no matter who they are, where they're from, how long they've been a, uh, 
in the church. And yes, even if they're from the remnant church, it doesn't matter. Uh, we should take out our Bibles and always evaluate if what the person said um, lines up with Scripture and thus saith the Lord. And we will have a, a PowerPoint uh, to make it easy to, to kind of follow along and to grab the text. I know that sometimes I can go a little fast, so that's there to assist and to help you. But uh, please follow along whatever version of the Bible you have that you're most comfortable with, that you understand the best. I just really like to encourage those that uh, hear my presentations to follow along, take some notes, write some things down, um, and to, to go ahead and to, 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 um, uh, to study this information out, as it were, for yourself. That being said, let us begin with a quick word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege that we have to come and to study the Word of God today. I ask that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we open up these sacred pages, as we seek to understand uh, the subject today. Uh, speak to us all individually and personally where we are at. Give us an experience with you, Lord. Help us not to leave um, from these different presentations that we're hearing uh, the same as we come. Uh, cause an influence and an impact to take place. You have the ability to reach us in the different places where we're at on our individual Christian walks. So we invite you as our special guest, be with us in our homes, in our offices, uh, in our bedrooms, wherever we're at at this time, and speak to us, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. That being said, I'm going to switch my screen over here to a share mode and give you guys the PowerPoint. Awesome. Here you go. And I saw. So the, the presentation entitled today is And I Saw Sharing the Three Angels' Messages. As this track is uh, more going to be on the, the concept of, of sharing, as it were, the three angels' messages. And so I want to start with an introductory text, though, a concept that I think is important. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, it tells us that if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. Now, I love this verse because as we're going to dive into the three angels' messages, some of us might have been in the church for 10 years, uh, 20 years, 50 years maybe. I, I don't know. Uh, personally, I've been, I, I converted from atheism when I was in college, uh, my college years, uh, back in 2007 um, into, uh, into the Seventh-day Adventist Christian Church. And so we, I know we're all at different places, but it's easy when you've heard countless presentations and sermons on the three angels' messages to think, ah, but I know this information, or uh, we're going to be talking about sharing the three angels' message. I know about sharing. Um, and I just want to encourage you that if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he doesn't quite know it as well as he could know it. And so with that in mind, I pray that we would all come with a focused attention to the Word of God today to, to better to seek to understand it and maybe to either learn something new or just as good be reminded of what we already know, but we just haven't been mindful of it recently. And so that's going to be our goal and our, as we kind of dive into this particular presentation. At this time, I'm going to ask for our, our first poll. I want to kind of throw it out there. Um, and our first poll question is, or I guess it's our second poll question since we started with where we're, where we're from, um, is what do you think when you hear the three angels' messages? What do you think when, when you hear that phrase, your, your first instinct, your, your kind of gut reaction, your, your natural impulse, as it were, you just kind of the knee-jerk reaction, three angels' message. There's some options, I believe, on the screen for you. Do you think of the word prophecy? 
Uh, do you think of the book of Revelation? Do you think of like last day events and kind of the final events of earth's history? Uh, practical Christianity, do you think of love? Maybe you think of the beast, the sea beast of Revelation 13, or maybe you think of the second coming. So I want you to go and throw it out there. And I believe they're going to uh, tell us, uh, I believe, with, uh, what, what the response there is to that. Um, but you know, we want to just kind of throw it out there to see what do you think of, because sometimes when we hear these concepts um, or certain words, we naturally have a train of thought. We naturally have a way that we go that we kind of lean and tend to. And it's kind of good to recognize where we lean and tend to, because then as we study the scripture, if it leans and points to a different direction, we want to make sure that we allow God to guide our thoughts down that direction. So we have the results for the poll question. It has uh, come in and been tallied. And we have a unanimous answer. Everyone who responded chose end time events. That was in everyone's mind, end time events. Okay, thank you. Which is a very common response, you know, very common response, end time events, which is very true. We're going to see that the three angels message definitely have a connection with the end time events. But I hope by the end of this presentation, we will have a, a new knee jerk reaction to the phrase, the three angels messages. So let's go ahead and dive right on in. Uh, we're still kind of in the introduction to the concept. Uh, Matthew 28 verse 18 and 19. Jesus gave a powerful command, his last command, as it were, to the disciples before he ascended up uh, to assume his role as high priest in the heavenly sanctuary. And it says here in Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We often refer to this as the Great Commission. Go out and share the gospel. Go and, as it were, proclaim the gospel um, to the world, right? Um, starting with Jerusalem and then to the other, uttermost parts of the earth was the command given specifically to uh, the disciples. And so we see here in the gospels this commission to go and share the gospel. Okay. When we hear this proclamation, we often think of maybe the four Gospels in the New Testament. You have Matthew, you have Mark, you have Luke, and you have John. First four books of the New Testament are referred to as the Gospels uh, because they describe the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so we, we, we study these and, and speak of these as they are the four Gospels. However, this command is reiterated in a different way in another portion of the Bible that is quite fascinating to me. And technically, it's still from one of the Gospels, if you count it as the fifth Gospel. And that's my favorite book, the book of Revelation. It says here in Revelation 14, verse 6, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting Gospel. So preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Here we see in Revelation chapter 14, as it, almost as it were like a reiteration of the command to go and to proclaim the gospel, except Jesus was telling the disciples, go and accomplish this 
But in Revelation chapter 14, what you're really seeing is the accomplishing of it. You're seeing the, the, the angels flying in the midst of heaven, proclaiming the everlasting gospel. And so when we talk about the three angels' message, we have to remember within this broader scope of the plan of salvation that the three angels' messages are the everlasting gospel, that it cannot be separated from the gospel proclamation or the command to go and to share the gospel. And so there's some weight and some importance to these three angels' messages. There, there's significance to these messages. Let's continue to look at the context together. What happens as a fulfillment, or I, should, I guess I should, let me say that differently. What happens as a result of the three angels' message? What work do the three angels' messages accomplish? When we look in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 through 12, that's where we find our three angels' messages of Bible prophecy. But immediately following the three angels' messages, an event takes place that we have to notice. It says here in Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 14, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap. For the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. We have here this harvest scene. We have, we have the Son of Man coming now on clouds. Um, he has a sickle in his hand. It's an instrument for farming. And what does he do with the sickle? He thrusts it into the harvest because the harvest of the earth is ripe. It's ready to be reaped. Okay, so we know that the majority of the book of Revelation is symbolic in its nature. It's symbolic uh, in its language that, that, of the thoughts that John was communicating for us. So what does this language mean? You'll recall that out of the 404 verses in the book of Revelation, that the majority of these verses are quotations and allusions uh, to other portions of scripture. In fact, the majority are quotations and allusions to the Old Testament specifically. However, there are definite quotations and allusions to other things within the New Testament itself. And I want us to look at this to understand what event is this harvest. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 37 to 39, the Bible giving us an understanding of what this harvest is in a parable that Jesus taught. Jesus answered and said, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. But the weeds are the sons of the evil one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world and the reapers are the angels. So what do we have here? We have this parable of uh, uh, the individual who sowed seed, but then his enemy came while he was asleep and he sowed some um, bad seed and it grew some tares. And the, the, the servants came and, you know, they asked, do, do you want us to just pull it all the bad ones up now? And no, no, wait until the time of the harvest. Then I will come. Then we will take up the harvest and separate them. 
what is the harvest? The Bible is clear. It's the end of the world. So in Revelation chapter 14, when we see the Son of Man, which we know in the New Testament, that's a reference to Jesus, when he's coming to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe, what, what that is indicating is that this is the second coming of Jesus. When he comes on clouds, according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, uh, every eye will see him, and he comes with the clouds. And that he's coming because it's the end of the world. It's time for the harvest to be reaped. The harvest of the earth is ready, and he's going to take his harvest, put it in his barn, but then the harvest of the wicked is also going to be ripe and ready. And so we see here, at the end of Revelation's three angels' messages, we have a picture of the second coming. Why is this significant? And why are we covering this? Well, it's important to understand, the, I guess, the context, the framework that a story or a passage fits in, because then we can see it in the big picture. The three angels' messages aren't just three messages that are interesting to study, that have fascinating concepts and life-changing principles. But the three angels' messages are messages intended to prepare the world for that event that follows as soon as their work is done. After these three angels have flown in the midst of heaven and accomplished their work, what's the immediate image we see? Second coming of Jesus. So these angels aren't just interesting and fascinating and life-changing. They are essential for us to understand. And if it's intended to prepare a people for the second coming of Jesus, then it is something that is intended to be shared that people might be ready. Um, in the SDA Bible Commentary on page 978, we're told, Christ is coming the second time with power unto salvation. To prepare human beings for this event, he sent the first, second, and third angel's messages. There it is. No original thoughts on my part, right? It's right there in the spirit of prophecy. First, second, and third angel's messages were sent for what purpose? To prepare human beings for this event. These angels represent those who receive the truth and with power open the gospel to the world. Before we talk about sharing the three angels' messages, we need to understand something about the three angels' messages. That who do these angels represent? By God's grace, they represent you. Yes, you, each one of you that are watching, are by God's grace, going to be represented by this angel, by these angels flying in the midst of heaven. Why? Because it, these are those who receive the truth and then with power open the gospel to the world. Those who receive the everlasting gospel and share the everlasting gospel are the angels of Revelation chapter 14. You are literally, as it were, flying in the midst of heaven, proclaiming the good news to a lost and a dying world. That this is kind of the, the big picture context of these three angels, a preparatory message that we are to present to the world after receiving it ourselves to prepare them for Christ soon coming. So with that being said, let's talk about sharing the three angels' messages. We're going to talk about sharing the three angels' messages in three simple points today. And before we dive into our three specific points, because we see from the, again, the big picture context, it's, yes, it's important to share these messages, but I know many of us may be thinking to ourselves, uh, we have shared these messages. We've attempted to share these messages. We've had evangelistic meetings or things of this nature. And in fact, I think we're going to go to our poll number two question right now. Um, actually, no, we're not going to go to poll number two question right now. Um, I'm going to hold that off for a few more minutes.
So as we dive into these, uh, these three angels' messages, we're going to be talking about sharing and proclaiming them. However, we're going to look at it from a different avenue than you might expect. And so let me go ahead and share the three points, and I think you'll understand where I'm going with this. But number one, we're going to look at the hidden causes of ineffective sharing. And I know normally in presentations and sermons, we like to be positive, and we need to be positive. And I'm a very optimistic guy, naturally. I, 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 well, I choose to be, by God's grace, very optimistic. But I think there's some benefit into understanding maybe why our methods of evangelism haven't quite been as effective as maybe we would have desired them to be. Number two, we're going to look at God's method of sharing and try to compare that with our method of sharing and to see if our method is in line with God's method or if there's a disconnect that's taking place. Because if there's a disconnect, by God's grace, we want to reconnect and experience what God wants us to experience. And number three, we're going to be looking at simplicity. Um, simplicity is key. I come from San Bernardino, California, and I have a very simple mind myself, and I believe simplicity is key. Keeping it simple really helps the masses. It helps the majority. So these are the three points that I want us to talk about today, and our first point, again, is going to be the hidden causes of ineffective sharing, but before that, let's now go to poll question number two, and let's go ahead and throw it up there. It's, what do you think of when you hear the word evangelism. When you hear the word evangelism, what comes to your mind? Um, I try to put as many options up there for you to try to hit the one thing that might come to your mind. There's an other option. We'll see if that one gets used at all. Uh, but what do you think of? Do you think of an evangelistic series? Um, maybe you think of Bible workers, right? Obviously, we think of evangelism in the local church. We think of the Bible workers that we hire. Uh, maybe we think of baptisms, kind of like the goal of evangelistic campaigns. So we think of evangelistic effort. Oh, we're clearly discussing baptisms. Or maybe you think of preaching. Some people might think of the word expensive, especially if you're a, a treasurer in your local church. You might think of the finances that come with an evangelistic meeting. Um, and there's other options there as well. So whatever you think, go ahead and uh, select what you think of when you hear the word evangelism. What comes to your mind? All right, Anthony, we're going to close the poll. I think that everyone's had a good opportunity to answer it. So I'm going to close that and let's see what we get. All right. So the top one, we had four people respond evangelistic series. That was the top one. The number two response was community service. And then... The last two were tied uh, at one vote apiece for Bible workers and baptisms. All right. Very good. All very good answers. So, yeah, so these are some of the things that we think of when we think of, like, evangelism, right? We think of, okay, the evangelistic series. We think of uh, the Bible workers. We think of um, the baptisms we're going to have. Okay, very good. So with that framework in mind, remember, we have the three angels' messages. What do we think of when we hear the three angels' message? We had a resounding unanimous vote, end-time events. Okay, and obviously we saw it's connected with the second coming, so that's true. Our second poll, um, what do we think of when we hear the word evangelism? Um, we have, uh, number one was the evangelistic series. The first thing that comes to mind is the evangelistic series was the dominating um, vote there. So with those in mind, let's dive now into our first point, the hidden causes of ineffective 
sharing. Why is it that we struggle sharing the three angels' message or having effectiveness, I should say, in sharing the three angels' messages? Revelation 14, verse 6, John begins by saying this, Then I saw. The presentation is entitled, And I Saw, as a, I believe the King James Version I, uh, puts that text in there, And I Saw. Um, here in the New King James, it says, Then I Saw. The general concept is the same, though. What happened? John saw something. Then I saw. And I saw. There's something interesting about this phrase in the book of Revelation. In fact, you can uh, study it out, look it up for yourself. You'll see many different times when this phrase is used in the book of Revelation, and I saw. Um, but its first use is in the very first chapter. And I want us to go there to see the significance of, of the author saying, and I saw. Here it says in Revelation chapter, this is actually chapter 1, uh, verse 1 and 2. I have the wrong reference on the top of the screen. My apologies. Revelation chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant, John, notice this, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. So what did John do according to this passage? He bore witness. Now, we don't often talk like that. At least I don't talk like that. If you do, that's cool. Uh, but we don't often say, oh, I'm going to go and bear witness. You know, what does it mean to, to bear witness to something? If I can use the common vernacular, it means to share. What it's saying here is he shared stuff. He shared information. He shared something. But he bore witness. What did he share? Well. He bore witness to the word of God. He testified and spoke on behalf of the God, word of God. He shared based on the testimony of Jesus Christ, which is an interesting thought to chew on. And he shared all things that he saw. I think it's so fascinating in the book of Revelation that John keeps saying, and I saw, then I saw, behold, lo, look, I saw. Why does he keep using these phrases over and over and over again? Well, obviously, it's because he saw something, but it's not just that. It's because whatever he sees, he shares. Whatever he sees, he shares. In fact, according to Revelation 1, verse 1 and 2, this is why John was given the revelation. This is why God sent it, why Christ sent it um, through the angel to John, because John would what? He would bear witness of all things that he saw. But what does it mean when the Bible says that he saw? You know, in our common way of speaking, when we say, oh, I saw that, often we refer to a more passive experience, such as a funny billboard that goes by. And someone says, did you see that? And you, you kind of glance and you're like, yeah, I saw it. I didn't quite get it, but I, I definitely saw it, right? But when John says that he saw something, it's, it means so much more. Notice 1 John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. 1 John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 3. John says, same author as the book of Revelation, that which was from the first, which has come to our ears, which we have seen with our eyes, looking on it and touching it with our hands about the word of life. Here when the author is saying that he saw something, you see that when, he, when he's describing how he saw this, that this was something he saw, that it was more than just passively seeing it, 
but he's describing an experience with it. I heard it. I saw it. I touched it. I handled it with my hands. Verse two, and the life was made clear to us. And we have seen it and are witnessing, bearing witness to it and giving you word of that eternal life, which was with the father and was seen by us. We give you word of all we have seen and everything which has come to our ears so that you may be united with us. And we are united with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. It's a lot of a lot of uh, text there, but the main thought that he's kind of getting at over and over again is that when this author says that he saw something, he's describing how he had a, a, a direct experience with it, that he's having an experience with it. Now, we know the book of Revelation, he had an experience because what he saw, he saw in vision, and therefore he was having a direct experience. But even here in 1 John, when he uses this concept of, of saying that he saw something, he's describing how he got his hands on it. That he, it was clear. He says it was clear to us. And this is significant. And it's kind of the first thing I want to point out is in order to be effective in sharing, we need to see it. We need to get our hands on it. We need to have it become clear to us. If it's not clear to us, how can we share it with someone else? And so that's kind of the first thing I want to point out here is, is John is describing this, this experience that is to be have. Do you see it? And I saw, have you handled it with your hands? Has it, as he said, become clear to you? Now, when it comes to sharing, we have an example in the Bible who's the best of the best, and that's Jesus himself. Notice in John 7, Verse 44 to 46. Now we know Jesus, he shared everything that the father showed him. So what he saw, he shared it as well. So the same principle applies. But notice in John 7, 44 to 46, what happened when Jesus shared? It says here, now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why have you not brought him? The officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. I love this story. When I was first studying the Bible back in 2007 for the first time, I remember reading this story. John was the first book of the Bible I read and just being fascinated with Jesus and how he answered people, how he handled situations, how he handled uh, these different conflicts. And I love this. They literally sent these, these guards, these officers, as it were, to take Jesus as a prisoner, but they didn't touch him. And they literally returned empty handed. And I love the answer. Why didn't you bring him? Why didn't you arrest him? Why isn't he here before us in shackles? Like what went wrong? And the, the only answer these officers can say is no one ever spoke like this. There's something about the way he spoke. I mean, it was so effective, my friends. Like I really want you to grasp this thought. The way that Jesus spoke was literally so effective that his own adversaries who were intent on arresting him returned willfully empty-handed just saying, man, I never, I never heard anyone speak like that before. Man, I never heard anyone talk like that before. I couldn't touch him. It was so effective, it literally dissuaded the officers from arresting him. Now, if that's not effective sharing, I don't know what is effective sharing. Right. I mean, it's easy to be effective to some degree with with people who are like minded. But when those who come to arrest you are affected by your present presentation, there is something to that. 
So how was Jesus so effective? We, yes, we know that he saw all that the father gave him. We know that he himself experienced the word of life for he was the very word of life made flesh. But what was it more that added to it? Maybe some of us, we, 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 we look at that first point of ineffective sharing and we think to ourselves, but I, it is clear to me. I do understand the three angels messages. It is clear to my mind. Praise God. I'm really glad to hear that. It should be clear to us. Um, but then where's that effectiveness? Where's the power at? Well, let's look at what made Jesus so powerful in his presentation. Helping Daily Living, page seven, says this. The officers who were sent to Jesus came back with a report that never man spoke as he spoke. But the reason for this was that never a man lived as he lived. To me, when, I remember when I read this uh, book uh, as well for the first time, that verse made so much more sense because I never understood why. I was like, man, how come I don't preach like that? How come my sharing isn't quite like that? I mean, I believe that we are nearing the second coming of Jesus personally. I, I believe that with every passing day, I am one step closer to seeing my Savior coming in the clouds of heaven. And I want to be effective in sharing. I've been in an evangelism really full-time since 2009, 2009. Wow, time flies. Um, as when I first went can, uh, uh, Bible working and then canvassing, and I've not given up uh, doing really full-time ministry since then. And so, but where's that effectiveness? Where's that power? And it tells us here, Jesus spoke this way because no one ever lived like he lived. Notice what it continues to say. Had his life been other than it was, he could not have spoken as he did. His words bore with them a convincing power because they came from a heart pure and holy, full of love and sympathy, benevolence and truth. What made Jesus so convincing? If I can put it simply, he lived what he shed. Like whatever he shared, that's the way he lived. I mean, look at this description. His heart was pure. How is your heart today, my friends? His heart was holy. Where are we at? Is the condition of our hearts. Have we truly let God renew within us a new heart and a new spirit? Full of love and sympathy. Benevolence and truth. That was Jesus. That's who he was on the inside. Is that who we are on the inside? Or are we defiled and unholy on the inside? Are we full of selfishness and indifference on the inside? Are we full of lack of care? What are we filled with? Because who we are on the inside matters way more than how much information we have up here. It didn't say Jesus can speak as he spoke because he, he, he you know, memorized the word of God or he knew so much information, which obviously he did study the scriptures. He knew it in his heart, and that's amazing. But that wasn't the reason why he spoke the way he spoke. It wasn't because he went to seminary. It wasn't because he took a theology class. He spoke the way he spoke because of who he was on the inside. It ends here by saying, in order to convince others of the power of Christ's grace, we must know its power in our hearts and lives. And so when we see this here, 
Jesus, it was who he was that added convincing power. Maybe a reason why we're not as effective in sharing and proclaiming the three angels message as we desire to be, isn't the lack of information. It isn't another symposium on, on the book of revelation. It isn't um, figuring out that Greek word or even that one old Testament concept that might unlock the whole package. It might just be our hearts. And I know that it sounds oversimplistic, but this is what gave Jesus convincing power you cannot give what you do not have is the principle that i gain from this you know I, I like to share when i'm when i'm when i'm giving bible studies to people and we talk about god's love i tell them it's not good enough to know that god is love i mean that's good to know but it's not good enough to just know that you can't just know that god is love but god desires you to experience that love for yourself he doesn't want you to know that he has the power to forgive sins. He wants you to know the joy of your sins being forgiven. For when you have that experience, there's so much more power behind the words that you say. Uh, it said differently in thoughts of the amount of blessings. You must be good before you can do good. You cannot exert an influence that will transform others until your own heart has been humbled and refined and made tender by the grace of Christ. I have a story I want to share. Um, I like stories. I, I, I believe stories are more likely to be remembered and verses are more likely to be forgotten. Uh, verses just show that there's biblical support, but hopefully the stories will help to solidify it. So as I mentioned, when I, I, I came out of atheism into Christianity, and when I was an atheist, I, I really, really did not, uh, was not fond of Christians at all. And so when I, be, and, and I, you know, I wanted to know information so that if I ever had discussions with a Christian that I could, you know, uh, handle myself as an atheist in a, in a Christian uh, debate context. Well, when I, you know, one of the first questions I would ask a Christian who really genuinely tried to proselytize me, you know, was things like, have you read the Bible cover to cover? And you would be surprised, maybe not surprised, I don't know, about how many Christians answered no to that question, that they have not actually read the Bible cover to cover. And my first instinct is, how can you believe something you haven't read in its totality? I mean, what if it talks about unicorns and fairies and stuff like that, and you just haven't read that part yet? And so, you know, I used to say stuff like that. And so when I became a Christian, man, I was determined to study the Word of God. I still remember the guy that convinced me, um, Mikey Minimo, uh, that, the, that there's a God. He accomplished an amazing feat. He convinced an atheist that there was a God. And I know that was the power of the Holy Spirit that I committed the next two years of my life to studying this book. Eight hours a day, every day for two years, I opened up the Bible and I, I poured out my heart into the, into the Bible because I wanted to know the information. I wanted to know it for myself. And once I had my head just full of all this information, I decided to go debating people. And I don't recommend you do this, but anyone who would debate, I would debate them. I didn't care what their denomination was. I didn't care what their viewpoint was. I just wanted to debate because I felt as though if I debated people, I would get better at sharing my information and I will become super effective at witnessing for Jesus. Well, I tried that approach for, for a little bit and lo and behold, did you know that debating doesn't usually lead to people choosing to follow Jesus? I didn't know that. That, that was new information for me, um, but that was my approach. I was like, now, why am I so ineffective? at sharing this information. Well, 
Um, long story short, I used to struggle with alcohol and it was a battle, uh, but God gave me the victory in 2007 over alcohol. And by God's grace, haven't touched it since. When that victory was gained, yeah, I was ineffective in some of these other areas at trying to share and convince people of some doctrinal truths. But when someone came to me seeking practical help with alcohol, oh man, I opened up the Bible. Let me share with you information. Jesus is here for you. He can change. He could trans. Look at these Bible promises. If any man's a new in Christ, he can become a new creature. Man, if you set your mind on things above and not things below, you can be dead and have your life hid with Christ in God. And I would see people getting victory over alcohol, but I wouldn't see people accepting these Bible doctrines. And I was like, okay, there's a problem here. What, what's the disconnect here? And I realized something. Ah, I've had an experience with this. This has changed and transformed. I've been transformed in this area. And therefore, I have something to give. Here, I'm just debating. But here, I'm literally giving an experience that I had. And this is what Jesus was doing. He was giving that which he had from personal experience. So our second thing to consider, we talked about ineffective. Maybe it's not clear to us. It needs to be, we need to have a clear understanding of the three angels message in order to communicate it effectively. But number two, we need to allow those same three angels messages, not just to be head knowledge, but to literally come in and convert us, to change our hearts, to transform us, to make us into new people. Because it's as we become new creatures in Christ that now there is power in saying, and I saw. This is what I saw, and I want to share it with you. Continuing on, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. This is a beautiful principle. And I'm sure each one of you could be very appreciative of this principle in scripture. God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. Isn't that precious? Isn't that amazing? God will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can handle. You can read the book of Job for this. You know, Satan in the book of Job comes to God and says, look, you know, look at the world that I have. I walk to and fro and have dominion over this planet. And then God says, have you considered my servant Job? And in that story, you know, Satan pretty much seeks permission to cause mischief to Job. And you can see within the story that God will put a hedge about Job. He'll even tell Satan, you can go this far, you know, you can, if you, if you so choose, you can do, you can put him through these trials, but you cannot take his life. See, God drew a definitive line. You can do this, but you cannot do this. It's something that he cannot bear. And so here in the Bible, it teaches us a beautiful principle that God will not allow you to be tempted above what you can handle. But I want to apply this principle in a different way. And in the context of ineffective sharing of specifically the three angels' messages. Testimonies, volume six, tells us the Lord does not now work. Now, pause right there, and I want you to think about that. That's some scary language. The Lord does not now work. We don't usually think of God as not working. But that's what the text says here. The Lord does not now work to bring many souls to the truth. Wait, what? I thought that's who you are. I thought that's, that's what you do. You bring people 
into the truth. You bring people to the remnant church. You have many sheep that are not of this fold as a presentation on, you know, uh, sharing and witnessing to those that are of other denominations. You know, God has many children scattered throughout the many denominations. But haven't you ever wondered why there's so many of them there? Because the church members who have not been converted and those who were once converted, but who have backslidden. I know that this is not an easy quote to read. Trust me. I've had to pray and search my own heart when I read this quote as an evangelist, as one who preaches evangelistic meetings. Lord, why are there not more souls making decisions for the truth? What are we doing? Is it our marketing? Um, is it our, the meals that we provide before or after or the lack thereof? Is it the health nuggets or the lack thereof? Like, which is it that is making us ineffective? Maybe it's just our condition. It goes on to say, she says, what influence would these unconsecrated members have on new converts? Would they not make of no effect the God-given message, which his people are to bear? I have a story to share, and I won't mention um, specifics for obvious reasons, uh, but I've had the privilege to, be, to preach literally around the world, actually. And it's, I love it. God has opened the door to me uh, to travel in a way I never thought was possible. Um, but there was a particular meeting as a young evangelist that I was able to do. And um, about six or seven months later, after the meeting was over, people made decisions, people got baptized. It was an exciting time. But I got a phone call from a particular attendee uh, who had made a decision for baptism. And this person called me and they were having some serious challenges in their local church. And they began to share and kind of delineate the challenges. And I tried to help them work through it, you know, as, as a friend and as a former evangelist to them um, and encourage them, you know, talk with your pastor, talk with your elders, you know, seek your church for help. And, you know, at the end of the day, um, it was really sad. They, they left the church and I was really heartbroken over that. I'm always sad when anyone leaves the church. And it wasn't the evangelism that was ineffective of why they left. The, their, their specific reason that they gave me for leaving was that the things that they learned and the things that they had experienced in the series were not things that they observed in the local church. And therefore, they would rather keep the Sabbath on their own, at home, study the Bible on their own, um, rather than be um, influenced in a negative way by the local church. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you're right to think it, but why are their eyes on people? Shouldn't their eyes be on Jesus? You're right, 100% agree. We should never allow our eyes to be on man because no church is perfect, right? Churches have challenges. Churches have problems. But yes, even converted people have challenges and problems. The question is, are we genuinely heart converted? Because you're right. They should keep their eyes on Jesus. They shouldn't look to people. But remember, they are babies. They are, they, they're babies. They're born again. They're, a, as it were, a young baby, a toddler, as it were, in the Lord. And if a baby was born into a family that lived on the streets with parents that struggled with um, uh, abuse of uh, drugs and uh, other things of that, of that nature, substance abuse, is it true that we can look at the child when they're a teenager, when they're on the streets, maybe they're stealing, maybe they're using drugs? Can we look at that child and say, well, you didn't have to follow in their footsteps. Of course we can say that. We could say you could have made a better choice. But realistically, we would know, man, the odds are really stacked against them. And they're going to need some serious help to work through this. It's the same with new converts. 
They're babies in Jesus. And this quote tells me that God doesn't bring us a lot of babies because we're not prepared to take care of them. And maybe that our ineffectiveness isn't so much our content, but again, maybe it's our, our hearts. Pastoral ministry page 101 says, the success of a church does not depend on the efforts and labor of the living preacher. I know in our generation, that's, that's almost a foreign concept. It's like, no, no, you just need to get a, a good preacher, a dynamic preacher, a charismatic preacher, uh, one who uh, just loves to just, you know, get up there and present eloquent sermons, and we will have a successful church. But we're told that that is not the case. But it depends on the piety of the individual members. It's more based upon the condition of us as church members, me included, than is upon who's up front behind the pulpit, regardless of how successful or popular the person may be. And this is a hard pill to swallow. Trust me, I know. But in a, in, in, in a discussion that we're going to have uh, today on, on sharing the three angels message, I mean, if we're not addressing our own hearts, then we're not doing due diligence to share effectively the three angels messages. So then how can you know the condition of the heart? Pastoral ministry, page 183. A prayer meeting will always tell the true interests of the church members in spiritual and eternal things. I want to read that again. A prayer meeting will always tell the true interests of the church members in spiritual and eternal things. God gave us something where we can measure because we can't judge her. I can't judge her. I can't look at someone and say, you know, you're spiritual. You're not spiritual. That's not my place. I can't see the heart. I cannot see the motives and the intentions within a person. However, we are told this in inspiration. Look to the prayer meeting. The prayer meeting is as the pulse to the body. It denotes the true spiritual condition of the church. A lifeless, backslidden church has no relish for the prayer meetings. That, I love that word relish, that this, this desire. That you, know, you just desire, you're chomping at the bits for the prayer meeting. A lifeless, backslidden church does not relish the prayer meeting. That quote is so sad because prayer meetings tend to sadly be the least attended event at the local churches. Um, some of the ones I've been to, some of them not so much. They've been booming, which is praise God. But that's how you can know. If you want to know what is the condition as us as a people in my local church, first you can ask yourself, do you relish the prayer meeting? Do you relish meeting with like-minded believers and coming before the throne of grace and pleading for your communities, confessing your faults one to another? Do you relish that experience? Maybe that's the first place to start. Maybe you do. Praise God. But does your church relish these things? How can we encourage others to gain an experience and a desire and a love and a relish for these things? Because a church that does not relish the prayer meeting is a lifeless backslidden church. And therefore, when they speak, it will not be as Christ spoke. It will not have that weight and effectiveness because they'll be lacking something on the inside. So these were some of the causes that I have found an inspiration in my own walk for ineffective sharing. Things maybe just weren't clear to me. Maybe it was just information, but not an experience. Maybe it was an experience, but I didn't let it convert and actually change my life and transform me. Um, and maybe I just don't relish the, 
the things of God over the things of this world. So when I try to tell others, choose God over Babylon, it's hard for them to believe me because my influence, my, my atmosphere, my life tells them otherwise. These were some key things that really spoke to me when it comes to sharing the three angels' messages. So then what is God's method of sharing? There is a, a list of ideas and, and concepts here of, of uh, methods of sharing. And all of these are, you know, uh, based on inspiration uh, from literature evangelism, education, um, health evangelism. Uh, we have campus ministries. The local church service is a method of sharing. Praise God. The Sabbath school. I love Sabbath school. I hope you love Sabbath school. Sabbath school is an amazing place for sharing and discussing and breaking down. And yes, music evangelists, for uh, they prophesy in music as they did in the scriptures. And so all of these are powerful, wonderful methods of sharing. And originally I thought, you know, of doing a whole presentation on just effective ways to share. But I changed my mind. And I thought it was more important to really focus on the condition of the heart. And why is it that God cannot give us effectiveness in sharing? But now for the second point, I do want to summarize a method of evangelism, a method of sharing, but that overshadows all of these methods. These are different outlets, as it were, of ways to share, and all of them are powerful and have their proper place. But I want to share with you something from Scripture about how Jesus shared. It says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 23 and 24, And Jesus went about all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. So we see three things. One, what was Jesus doing? He was teaching in the synagogue, right? He was, he was giving people the information. He was preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So he was proclaiming the good news uh, of salvation. And he was healing the sicknesses and disease of the people. If I can reword that last one slightly differently, he was meeting the, the physical, natural needs of the people, which in this context was the sick. So what happened when Jesus teached, preached, and met the needs of the people? Verse 24, then his fame. Did you know Jesus was famous? See, I love this idea. Jesus was famous. I mean, not that we should strive to be famous, but I think it's amazing that people knew who he was. It says, then his fame went throughout all of Syria, and they brought to him all the sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, and paralytics, and he healed them. You know what's so interesting about Jesus' ministry? It's very rare that Jesus was chasing people down, and more common that people were chasing Jesus down. I mean, not that Jesus doesn't pursue. Yes, people pursue. Uh, like he went to the women at the well. Yes, he pursued the disciples. But we see that when he was doing his public ministry, what would happen? The centurion came to him. Nicodemus came to him, right? You know, the, the, the 5,000 came to him. Like literally people then came to him, right? The Gentiles, when they came to him, when he was at the temple, the Gentiles came to, to, to um, the disciple Philip and he brought him to Andrew and Andrew brought him to Jesus. They came to him. Why were people coming to him? And are people coming to us? Or are we constantly having to chase people down? And there's nothing wrong with pursuing and chasing because God, he, he chases us with an everlasting love. And we should, we should draw people with an everlasting love. Yes, for sure, of course. But why is it that people don't come to us? Why isn't it that they don't come and say, we've heard of your God that you serve. We heard of you as a people. 
And man, we cannot help but to join your people. Why? I'm going to suggest maybe it's because as a whole, and I'm speaking as a whole, like a worldwide movement, as a whole, maybe we're not doing it the way Jesus did it. And to make it simple and not to, and to make sure it's not my own words, there's a quote that summarizes this concept. Christ's method alone, ministry feeling page 143. Keyword there is alone. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. The Savior mingled with men is one who desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, won their confidence. Then he bade them, follow me. You see, when I first read this quote, I realized something quickly about myself as an evangelist. That I, Baca's method, Anthony Baca's method was bid them, come follow me. And when you come and follow, then we will hang out with you. Then we will minister to your needs. Then we will invest in you. But you got to choose to come first. So you got to make that choice. But that's not what Jesus did. First, he mingled with men as one who desired it. He spent time with them. Notice, he did not spend time with them to baptize them. He mingled with them as one who desired their good. And yes, baptism is a good thing. And yes, it, it's, it's, obviously it's important. Um, but the motive wasn't a number. The motive wasn't uh, how many can I get? The motive was what can I do for your good? And notice it says he showed his sympathy. Not he had sympathy. He showed it. Um, there was a story. I was at a particular church, and this uh, woman uh, got up to talk about a family in need. She said there was a single mom with a few kids and was lacking in uh, food and other resources. And this was on the Sabbath, and she made an appeal. She said, I know that we all have plenty of food at home. I know that we're all probably well-stocked people. Can we please get some stuff, bring it to church, and go over there and drop it off? For this family. And, you know, when she sharing the story and she was crying when she was sharing it, you can look around and see tears in almost everyone's eyes. Everyone was touched by the story. She had a picture. It was just moving, a moving situation. Remember, I went to my little studio apartment, opened up my cupboards. And I was like, all right, what canned vegetables can I? No, I was kidding. <laughs> but, you know, what food can I, can I get rid of? You know, that would be a benefit to this family. And so I grabbed what meager things a bachelor would have in his home. And, you know, I went back to the church the afternoon. And I thought to myself, man, there's going to be a whole bunch of us, and we're going to go, and, and we're going to show them how much we care. And the sad thing is, uh, there were just a couple of us. I mean, literally, like, a couple, like her, me, and another person. And that was it, out of a full church. And I really thought to myself, what happened? Like, we all felt sympathy. We all felt for the family. But it's not good enough to feel sympathy. We got to show sympathy. We got to actually show up. We actually got to minister to the needs of the people. And when you minister to the needs because you care for their good, then it's then you can say, come and follow me. And as it were, come as Jesus says, follow me as I follow Jesus, not follow me for me sake. But this was Christ's method, spending time with people, ministering to people, which is interesting to me because if we want to be effective at sharing the three angels' messages, does that mean we have to get better with our theology? Maybe. I'm not saying we don't. Maybe we can improve our clearer understanding of it. But maybe we understand it just fine. Maybe the reason why we're so ineffective is we show up to people and say, hey, you come and follow. And if you're not willing to come and follow, well, then you're not like me. And therefore, we can't spend and I can't, you know, associate and, you know, we're too different. 
you know, I hope you follow what I'm saying. It's Christ was not like that. And even the Pharisees gave him a, a difficult time with this. They say, look, he spends time with publicans and harlots. I say, praise God. He ministered to people in need. He also spent time with Pharisees. He spent time with anyone who had a need and was willing to let him meet that need. It goes on to say, there is need of coming close to the people by personal efforts. If less time were given to sermonizing, see, I'm ineffective right now. Sorry, not as effective as I could be. And more time were spent in personal ministry, one-on-one ministry, that door-to-door ministry, that in-the-home-with-family ministry, greater results would be seen. The poor to be relieved, the sick cared for, the sorrowing and the bereaved comforted, the ignorant instructed, tutor someone for free, especially with all this homeschool going on right now. Help people who just don't know how to instruct their own kids right now with schooling. If you have that skill and ability, give it to them. The inexperienced counsel. Weep with those that weep. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Accompanied by the power of persuasion, the power of prayer, and the power of the love of God, this work will not and cannot be without fruit. Powerful quote. Powerful concept. Here we see that effective evangelism, effective sharing of the gospel, the everlasting gospel, which is the three angels' messages, isn't so much the eloquence of the preacher, isn't how many evangelist meetings we hold or how many Bible workers we hire or how many books we give away. It's how much time do we spend investing in actual people, personal ministry, because we just love them so much. This is a picture of me back in 2007 weighing up or near 400 pounds, um, the high 300s, last time I weighed in. Um, actually, this was 2006, forgive me, 2006, uh, December 2006, um, a week, about a week or so before I stepped in uh, foot to the, uh, to the church of my own, just accord to go to church, you know, um, in 2007. So here I am. And how was I one? How was this atheist brought to the Lord? What, what eloquent preacher did it? What eloquent Bible study was it? Well, it's a long story. I'll summarize it. Back in 2006, when I was a stubborn, uh, angry, um, depressed, whatever you want to call it, just I drank a lot, atheist, a Seventh-day Adventist chose to be my friend. His name is Genesis Napot. He chose to be my friend. When honestly, I wasn't, I don't consider myself a friendly guy at that time. Yeah, I had friends, but I was selfish and just cared for me, but he just, he was my friend. Um, he also told me later that he prayed for me. I believe that there was something to that. God was hearing his prayers. Um, you know, I remember he took me out to eat for my birthday and it was just fascinating. And uh, through a series of circumstances, you can look at my testimony on Audioverse, but through a series of circumstances, I decided to go ahead and um, um, come to visit church. He invited me to church and I decided to come um, for a variety of reasons. And so I went and when I went, I met a greeter. And what did she do? She greeted me. Nothing special, nothing significant, but she greeted me. And I remember I sat in the church and as the church service was progressing, I realized that I was kind of disheveled. I had some vomit on my pants, some dry vomit. I smelled like some liquor. I smelled like BO. Um, I was a big guy. Um, There's a whole story behind that. I had a drinking problem, had a partying problem. And I realized that I was under the influence at church and I was starting to sober up and realizing my condition. And it was so disgusting and putrefying. I just had to get out of there. And as I was trying to leave church, that greeter met me. And what did she do? She gave me a hug. She gave me the biggest bear hug. I still remember. I was like, why are you hugging me in my mind? You know, I was like, why are you hugging me? 
She then proceeded to invite me to eat lunch with her. She said, you sure you don't want to eat lunch with us here today? I said, thank you. I really have to go. But you see, all week in my mind, I was angry at every party. Why did she hug me? Why did she hug me? Why did she hug me? Makes no sense. Why would you hug someone as disgusting as I was? I looked like I was scraped off the gutter and dropped in church. Like church, I was the guy that church members, when this guy walks in, like you move pews. I've seen that happen. People move pews or people note the, hey, deacons, pay attention. You know, we, we might need to kick this guy out, right? I was that guy. And what did they do? They hugged me. It made me angry. It made no sense. I kept going back to church because of that hug. And church members kept loving me. Church members were there for me. Church members kept helping me. And I thought, dude, why did these people? I'm an atheist. This makes no sense. But you see, they won my confidence. And then one day someone decided to come along months later and said, hey. And it's because I asked for a Bible study. Still want that Bible study. Gave me that Bible study. And convinced me that there was a God. I accepted the three angels message. I accepted the present truth for this time. I joined God's remnant church, a Bible prophecy. But I want, to, I want to emphasize it wasn't just because of a Bible study. No, 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 no. It was months of stuff before that. And what was it? It was a handshake. It was a hug. It was come over to my house for food. It was, hey, here's a, here's some, a suit. I, I, hey, clearly you don't have a lot of money. That's okay. Don't worry about it. And you, yeah, it's cool. If you want to keep wearing casual clothes at church, that's fine. But if you want, we would love to buy you a brand new suit just to give it to you. Who are you people? Literally, who are you people? I want to know more about you. What do you believe about the Bible? Often in sharing the three angels message, we think of more the theology than the people. We need to think of the people more. Loving the people, caring for the people just wanting to serve people, then the three angels message will find a way to the hearts. Then medical missionary work as it, in its truth will be the right hand to open the heart for the three angels message to move right on in. Last point, as I wrap up in the last few minutes, we literally have a few minutes left. Simplicity is key. What are the three angels message anyways? I believe the reason why we have such a difficult time just being effective and sharing the three angels message by by loving and serving the needs you know i think of a, a ministry i would encourage you to look up named fusion in san Bernardino. i mean my brother i've been trying to reach my brother for years now and just a, over a month ago my brother was baptized because people met him on the streets fed him with food and i got to baptize my own brother and it was because people were willing to love on him even when he was in a very unlovable condition um and, but, but why do we find that so difficult to do? Why do we find it so hard to do that? I believe it's because we lose sight of simplicity. I mean, you go to the ABC and you look up books on Revelation, you find these like, fat books and theology books, and you have Greek words here and, you know, 50 Old Testament verses here. But what are the three angels' messages? Here's how I like to think of them. First angel. It's a, it's a message about a gospel that transforms us to reflect God's character. That's it. That's really what the first angel's message is all about. Yeah, there's a lot of details, a lot of stuff in there, but really, what is it all about? It's a gospel that can change you to be like Jesus. Second angel. And once God changed, transform you, the second angel comes along, and what does it call you to do? To make a definitive decision. Will you choose to be all in for Jesus? 100% with no turning back. Will you come out of Babylon? Literally and in your heart. 
And number three, as a result of choosing a definitive decision for God, there's a message of victory over the beast and his mark. That's it. That is the three angels of messages right there. If you wanted it in simple form, there's your simple form. This is the three angels messages of the book of Revelation that prepares a people for the coming of Jesus. Christ's object lesson says, the last rays of merciful light, the last message of mercy to be given to the world is, we know it's the three angels message, but what does she call it? A revelation of his character of love. Our poll earlier indicated, you know, the first things that we think, we thought of like evangelistic series, community service, we thought of Bible workers. When we think of evangelism, I, or excuse me, when we think of uh, uh, three angels messages and evangelism, oh, three angels message was end time events, end time events is I hope that we can have perspective change, that we think of the three angels' messages. We think of the last message of love, of mercy to a lost and dying world, that we think of, as it were, serving the people, of showing them Jesus. This is really what the three angels' messages is, has at its core, at its center. So to review as we close, first thing we saw was that our own spiritual condition can either hinder or hasten the proclamation of the three angels' messages. It's more about our heart than our, the information we have in our mind. Number two, that personal ministry with people one-on-one is the most effective way to share the three angels message. You're more effective at sharing the three angels message when you invite people over for dinner, when you go to people's workplace, when you go to you know, the, the racetrack with someone. I don't know, when you just spend time investing, when you feed the homeless, when you give tutoring to that family that just can't quite you know, get it together, you know, and they just need help, you know, personal ministry opens the heart for the three angels messages, that message of mercy to come and do its work. And the core of the three angels message is very simple. It's a revelation of the loving character of God. If people don't get that from us, when we share the three angels message, we have shared an incomplete three angels message. We have shared a lacking three angels messages. Simplicity is key, my friends. Simplicity is key. The world needs today what it needed 1,900 years ago, a revelation of Christ. That's what the three angels' messages are. And in order to to preach that with power, that then needs to be the life of the heart, a revelation of Christ in our life. A great work of reform is demanded, and it is only through the grace of Christ that the work of restoration, physical, mental, and spiritual, can be accomplished. This is God's goal. This is God's desire for each and every one of us. Will you allow Jesus to come in and to reform your heart today? I don't know where you're at. I don't know where you're at on your journey. I don't know what your next step is. And I don't know what's happening in your life currently today. But wherever you're at, will you choose to let God come in and do a great work of reform? Because it is demanded of his people. It is essential for his people at the time that we live in to come in and to start with the you first, to start with your heart first, to say, God, I don't just want to know this information. I literally want this information to become a part of me, to change me, so that when I share this with others, I'm not just giving them data, I'm giving them an experience. Is that your desire? I sincerely hope and pray it is. For it is when God's people fully surrender their own hearts to conversion, to reformation, and reconciliation amongst each other instead of fighting one another? Can we finally move forward as a well-ordered army to proclaim a gospel message, the three angels' message, to a lost and dying world? Father in heaven, thank you for the chance to study the word of God today. 
Thank you for the promise of your spirit to lead and guide us into all truth. I am but man and I can err. I pray that anything that was shared from your word that was of meaning, meaningfulness, I pray that you would emphasize that upon the hearts of those that are li listening. Well, we are counseled to be cautious of coming to presentations to leave and forget quickly what, we, we, what we've heard. We know the enemy comes in like a bird to snatch at the seed sown upon the soil of the heart. So I pray that even now the Holy Spirit would push the seeds deep within our minds and hearts, that we would take time to think and to pray and to meditate upon the things that we've heard, not just in this presentation, but throughout the day, that we would choose to surrender our hearts and to allow you to come in and cause a great work of reformation to occur. Help us to this end, Lord. Bless us to this end, that we might proclaim the everlasting gospel through the three angels' message with the power where the people of this world will say, never have we heard a church speak as this church spoke. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Anthony. Really appreciated this powerful seminar. I knew that it was going to be powerful and challenging to us. We have a couple of minutes before our time is completely over. So if there's anyone on the chat right now that would like to ask a question of Anthony, I want you to just type that question in the chat box there on the website, I'll relay that over and we'll get an answer. Uh, while you're thinking, Anthony, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Is there a book, a spirit of prophecy book that really summarizes what you have talked about in making the three angels messages practical? Mm -hmm. A single book. A single book. That's a difficult question. Um, the concept of the three angels' messages in one book, it won't be direct, but it would be the book, Steps to Christ. And Steps. here's why. Yes, and I'll even share why. Because when you understand the principles of the three angels' messages, you find those most clearly delineated in that particular book. And simplify, I'm thinking simplified terms. Definitely. Second runner-up would probably be Desire of Ages. Definitely, definitely. Uh, one that came to my mind was Ministry of Healing. Uh, because yeah, powerful book. Showing the gospel, what Jesus did, and how we can also do the same thing. Yeah, beautiful. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for that. All right, let's see. Any questions? Any questions that came in? I'm just refreshing my screen to see if I see any and i'm not seeing any we have a quiet audience <laughs> so right. and again i wanted to say thank you so much for your time that you have shared with us i know that everyone who watches this presentation whether it's live right now during our asi virtual convention or in the future on the website or on audioverse when we get it all ready to go i know that people are gonna be blessed. Uh, you know, one of the takeaways that really was powerful for me was prayer. Mm, God, God is so good to give us, you know, that uh, litmus test. Do we really covet the time to spend with God? So thank you very much uh, for encouraging us to do that. And uh, we're trying to make that a bigger priority here at ASI. So be watching for some of the initiatives that we're going to have that uh, 
This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.